With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Have you ever been travelling overseas, logged into your favourite streaming service, and realised, your favourite show isn't there? Different countries have different streaming rights, so just because you can watch Breaking Bad at home doesn't mean you can watch it overseas. Well, with Surfshark, you can. Surfshark is the VPN that I use every single day. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and get back to watching the favourite shows that I love. Use the link in the description or the episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan and get back to watching the shows that you love. Hello and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. My name is Isaac and my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing, or finally starting The Scarlet Letter today by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Last episode was the introductory chapter, which takes up 15% of the book, and I'm still not quite over it. But today, we actually get into the book. Let's get started. The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne Chapter 1 The Prison Door A throng of bearded men in sad-coloured garments and grey steeple-crowned hats, intermixed with women, some wearing hoods and others bareheaded, was assembled in front of a wooden edifice, the door of which was heavily timbered with oak and studded with iron spikes. The founders of a new colony. Whatever utopia of human virtue and happiness they might originally project, have invariably recognised among their earliest practical necessities to allot a portion of the virgin soil as a cemetery, and another portion as the site of a prison. In accordance with this rule, it may be safely assumed that the forefathers of Boston had built the first prison house somewhere in the vicinity of Corn Hill, almost as seasonably as they marked out the first burial ground on Isaac Johnson's lot, and round about his grave, which subsequently became the nucleus of all congregated sepulchres in the old churchyard of King's Chapel. Certain it was that some fifteen or twenty years after the settlement of the town, the wooden jailhouse was already marked with weather stains and other indications of age, which gave yet a darker aspect to this beetle-browed and gloomy front. The rust on the ponderous ironwork of its oaken door looked more antique than anything else in the new world. Like all that pertains to crime, it seemed never to have known a youthful error. Before this ugly edifice, and between it and the wheel track of the street, was a grass plot, much overgrown with burdock, pigweed, apple prue, and unsightly vegetation, which evidently found something congenial in the soil that had so early borne the black flower of civilised society, a prison. But on one side of this portal, and rooted on almost the threshold, was a wild rose bush, covered, in this month of June, with its delicate gems, which might be imagined to offer their fragrance and fragile beauty to the prisoner as he went in, and to the condemned criminal as he came forth through his doom, in token that the deep heart of nature could pity and be kind to him. This rose bush, by strange chance, had been kept alive in history, 
But whether it had merely survived out of the stern old wilderness, so long after the fall of gigantic pines and oaks that originally overshadowed it, or whether, as there is fair authority for believing, it had sprung up under the footsteps of the sainted Anne Hutchinson as she entered the prison door, we shall not take upon us to determine. Finding it so directly on the threshold of our narrative, which is now about to find issue from that inauspicious portal, we could hardly do otherwise than pluck one of its flowers and present it to the reader. It may serve, let us hope, to symbolise some sweet moral blossom that may be found along the track, or relieve the darkening close of a tale of human frailty and sorrow. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe, because there's more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It really helps this get in front of as many people as possible, which would be fantastic. Uh, I love doing nothing more than this. And the more reviews you leave, the more likes, subscribes, all that um, allows me to turn this into not just a passion, but my job. I've decided to read the majority of the book in my uh, British accent instead of continuing with that uh, the accent I did for the introductory chapter, as the majority of the book is written in the third person, and I just find it easier to do it that way, and you'll probably have a better listening experience than me trying to, to do that accent for the entirety of the whole book. It's 192 pages. I've already done 13. I ain't gonna do more. Um, let me know what you think of that decision. Uh, I'm gonna stick with it, because um, the book will be finished by the time you watch this, so um, I'm not gonna go back and change it. Once again, thank you for listening, and until next time, bye bye